0: Yeah! Happy Sunday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating today? I am celebrating returning because a couple of weeks ago, some of you are back, and it's good to see you all here again. Uh, I sat down to celebrate this man that I love so much, and that's Ron Lytle. We sat down and it was like a comedy. Well, it was like laugh Doors were <laughs> opening, doors were closing. He would disappear, I would disappear. He would be there, I wouldn't be there. Uh, my friend Danielle, who we had a long talk about, she told me what I need to say to the universe before we started today. So I am expecting smooth sailing for the next hour.
1: As am I.
0: <laughs> it was quite something. And I'm so thrilled that you said yes to coming back.
1: It took us a minute, but um, didn't wasn't as hard as the first time to schedule this, so good for us. That's very good. And, and, and thanks of, for having me back.
0: Well, you are truly one of the most gifted men that I have met through virtual media. Uh, we haven't physically met face-to-face, but that's yes. going to change. I know it will. Uh, but I am thrilled that you're here today, and I'm going to start by asking you, who or what are you celebrating today?
1: Oh, boy, I guess I'm celebrating the wonders of technology and that we've conquered them. Well, I want to say that today we're, we're going to be giving away three
0: CDs of yours. Uh, is, am I correct on that? Yes. There's three of them. And the word that you need to do is put in a hashtag challenge because it was a challenge to get us here, but we are here and we're going to celebrate. I want to begin by going to a quote uh, from uh, Carol Channing. Uh, She said the only time she ever got sick was on stage in Kalamazoo. And when she called David Merrick, he said, well, if you're going to get sick, Kalamazoo is the place to do it. But I'm going to go a step further and say, if you were going to be born anywhere, Kalamazoo is the place to do it. that's where (laughs) it began for you.
1: Indeed it is. (laughs) Uh So go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, is that a question? (laughs) Yes, I was born in Kalamazoo. You were
0: born in Kalamazoo. I want to talk a little bit about your childhood growing up there because you and I have spoken and we may have addressed some of this in our when we sat down before, but... Um, I'm a product of 1960s and 70s television. Uh, I grew up wanting to be a part of that world of show business. Um, You and I both have talked about the film That's Entertainment, which came out in 1974. And there was this nostalgia craze that was sweeping over the country uh, with all these great MGM musicals. But I, too, wanted to be a part of that world. Where did the spark first begin for you?
1: You know, I think probably in movies and probably movies on TV. My family did not go to the theater. There's a lot of theater in Kalamazoo. Um, there's, there's a university in Kalamazoo, Western Michigan University. So major tours like Dolly would come through, but we just didn't do that in my house. Um, so I think that I had an idea of what musical theater was based on Hollywood's representation of musical theater, Um, you know, strictly glamour, right? (laughs) Um, But also a lot of, you know, a lot of the movie musicals, the Mary Poppins, the Chitty Chitty Bang Bangs, Sound of Music, um, things that were still in the pop culture. At that time, I was definitely exposed to those. Um, And just hugely influential. And records, you know, you had an idea of what I had an idea of what musical theater must be based on all those cast albums and soundtracks from great films.
0: Well, you know, Ron, there's an expression that we don't choose this business. It chooses us. What was it originally that attracted you to the business itself beyond everything you've just told us and what you were seeing, you know, that was brought into your household, uh, you know, through television and records, cast albums?
1: Yeah, I think just... You know, even though I had no idea of what that industry was, knowing that that was my world, you know, Um, and then probably in about middle school, I remember having a great teacher. We all had a great teacher. Right. Who I remember on the last day of school before I moved into um, high school, her pulling me aside and saying, I expect to see you on that stage next year Um, because they didn't do shows in middle school, but of course they did in high school. And I had done some performing before that little, you know, silly things, dancing and this or that, um, making sure that I got dragged on stage at Walt Disney World, um, to be, you know, the kid who is chosen from the audience, little things like that. Well, my guess is that she did find you on the stage the next year. And what
0: was the show? what, uh, What was your first high school show? Uh, Bye Bye Birdie.
1: Still one of my favorites.
0: Mine too. Uh, Frank Langella, in his book, he talks about that moment where you step from the wings into the light for the first time. Do you remember the first time that you stepped from the wing into the light and what that experience was like for you?
1: I remember it vividly because I didn't step from the wings into the light because it was Bye Bye Birdie. So first number, it's telephone hour and we're all in our little cubicles. But I remember sitting in this little cubicle holding a phone and sitting in the dark. And yes, I remember the... The curtain rising and, and, you know, seeing the dust filtering down, being caught in the, in the lights and the audience and, yeah, all of that magical stuff that we all love. And was your mind made up at that moment that, that you were definitely going to
0: uh, go into this profession?
1: No, really, I thought I would be some sort of instrumentalist. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a percussionist all through high school, and it wasn't until my first year in college that I put that all away. Um, because I was fully enmeshed in, in musical theater by that point. So in, in, you, you know in, in high school, it was something that I think I really wanted to do. Um, but it probably seemed, you know something I shouldn't do, not practical.
0: Now the last time I asked you a question, and if I get the facts wrong, you'll correct me.. All right. <laughs> but uh, I said that in every artist's life, those that want to go into show business, uh, you're pulled in either one or two directions, either Broadway or Hollywood. But you ended up, uh, well, closer to Hollywood because you ended up in Las Vegas.
1: <laughs> True. After, um, gosh, I can't remember how many years, but after a number of years of, of doing theater and summer stock and amusement park gigs and things like that, I did end up in Las Vegas, which seemed completely antithetical to what I wanted to be doing. But it was a great town to make a living in. And, um, yeah, and it led to other opportunities for me.
0: Well, I'm going to ask a question, and it may be in the realm of woo-woo. Uh, but uh, Danielle's here, so she, <laughs> and she's very woo-woo with me. But um, do you believe in fate or manifestation?
1: I do, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, I believe that I manifested a lot of the experiences that I had, particularly with old Hollywood type personalities, people that I knew I wanted to meet or work with um, and met most of the people on my list, you know, and not just at Stage Door, how do you do, but, you know, had had nice interactions with them over the years. Well, the reason I asked that question is
0: because when you were in Vegas, you were doing a show, a new show had been written and you felt with good reason (laughs) that you (laughs) could improve upon it or write, your own version or a better version of it. And you made that happen.
1: I did. It was on a Friday. I'll never forget it. And I had been working at a well-known casino for about a year. And the rug was pulled out from underneath the producer who hired all of the entertainers. And the casino decided to hire us all independently under new, more lucrative for us, contracts, but not a nice thing to do to the producer. And they knew that I had a strong background in musical theater and so they put me into an act that was going to be a little musical comedy piece, the small troop of people. And we were given our scripts on a Friday and we read them. And it was really one of the worst things I could imagine being in. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I went into the, um, uh, the entertainment director's office and, and I will never know where I got this chutzpah. And I said to him, I love this script. um, but, you know, I have a script at home that I wrote that I think might work really well in this space for this cast and for our audience. And I went home that Friday and I wrote it and I brought it in on Monday. But I was going to say, if you had already had the script written
0: or would you were just <laughs> you created it? Yes. Right.
1: Yeah. And it ran for six months. And um, and that I had written in college. I had been the little darling of some creative writing classes and had done some musicals and things. But this was the first time that I had written something that was going to be put in front of a real audience. And, um, you know, like I said, it ran six months. I wasn't completely pleased with it. But for the first effort, I, you know, it, it, was, it was great. And it was at that point where, standing in the wings, waiting for my cue, when I would listen to scenes that I wasn't in or songs that I wasn't in, and I'd hear the audience reaction to the performers, but also to my material, that's where something started to change in me. And I started transitioning into writing more and more. Well, um, and you
0: may have answered some of this a little bit, but how did that experience shape you? Uh, either by the experience itself or from the writing uh, that you were now hearing your words being performed by other artists on stage, which I think is probably one of the most thrilling, satisfying things that can happen for a writer.
1: Or frustrating.
0: Or frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about celebrating. No, so. I know. I just, <laughs> it's a cheap
1: joke, Richard. I know it
0: is. I know it is.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, I do think I kind of answered it. It just opened this new avenue for me. I, I never thought that I would stop performing. Um, I thought it was something that I would always do. You know, I figured I'd, you know, you can sing when you're 80, you can, you can tap dance when you're in your sixties. But it, but it just changed my outlook. I knew that I had something more to give, I
0: guess. And how long did you decide to stay in Vegas after this show? And did other opportunities start happening for you in Vegas?
1: Well, I was in Vegas for nine years. Wow. But I didn't perform in Vegas um, all that time. Mm-hmm. Something that is, you know, I could kind of kick myself for today. I, When I got to be about 30, I, I thought, well, I need to really focus on something else now. And um, so I really... I really stepped back from performing for five or maybe seven years, which was really hard for me. Um, just because that was part of my soul. You can imagine. And, um, and I had this notion of what I was going to do with my writing. And then I just kind of got sidetracked and I did this sort of period where I was working in the corporate world and it was just stupid. And, um, (laughs) <laughs> then but you, you ate yes and, <laughs> and then uh, we ended my partner and I ended up moving to San Francisco for a job that he had and it was during that time that I hurt myself physically and had to leave my job and it was just the world taking care of me where that's when I started getting these offers to do writing Um some some corporate gigs for a toy company, um, online media, and then a theater company heard about that and what I had done in Vegas. And so they commissioned me to write a show. And that's kind of hurting my shoulder really led me into what I do today. So thank you. Now, is your husband,
0: uh, your partner in the business at all?
1: No, no, he's he, he works in tech.
0: Oh, okay. I've always said that I don't think personally that I could be in uh, my husband and I have been together for 34 years, married 11. Uh, but I don't think that I could be involved with anyone else in this business. Um, and I have and I say to him often, that when he passes on, hopefully not for a long, long time. But when he passes on, he's going to get to the pearly gates and St. Peter is going to say, here is your purple heart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you know that this is a tough business. Um, And, you know, and I'm sure that there's the yin and the yang of any relationship, if you've been together a long time, uh, that for myself, he keeps my feet on the ground. Would you say it's the same thing for yourself? Or, you know, how does he enhance uh, your creativity or help you to do the creativity that you have?
1: Um, Yeah, we're totally yin and yang. And um, we just had Friday, our 39th anniversary. So something works. And he's also super creative. Um, he's a writer, he's a cartoonist, he does graphic novels. Um, that's his passion. Um, he's, he's a terrific storyteller. So I have somebody to always bounce ideas off of, you know, or like for the 500th time, what do you think of this lyric versus this lyric, you know? But um, also, he's a graphic, well, those aren't his posts. He's a graphic. I have to
0: ask you, excuse me if interrupting, but is that anything like, you know, a wife saying to her husband, how do I look in this dress? And and are you, when he gives you
1: his feedback, how how do you respond to that? Well, if it's the right answer, (laughs) I respond favorably. And if it's the wrong answer, then I, you know, send him back to think about, no, I don't really. No, Um, he does all of the, almost all of the graphics for all of my show posters too. Um, the CD covers, all of that is him. So, Well, so, he's
0: done a phenomenal job, though. So yeah, hold yeah. on for another 39 years. You're right, it's a deal. Uh, so it was his business that got you to San Francisco. Right. And, you know, what is it about San Francisco that resonated? It's one thing to move somewhere and say, I'm home. Uh, do you feel that? Or was there any inclination to want to go to either Los Angeles or uh, to New York?
1: Um, Definitely not Los Angeles. I I was never really interested in that. Well, I will say that I I did aspire to um, write for the Disney company. Um, So I I imagined living like, you know, writing for the parks, mostly. Um, So I did for a while aspire to to live in Southern California, but not anymore. Um, New York, certainly. When, when I was young, I mean, I wanted to be there and it just never quite worked out for us. Again, we were, you know, together when we were quite young.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, so like we had to we we had to decide where we were going to be places that were good for both of us. When I wanted to go to New York, it just wasn't good for both of us.
0: So I know there was an injury that took you away from the business for a while. So when you went to San Francisco, uh, you were part of the a corporate world uh, in Vegas. Did that transfer for you as well when you went to San Francisco?
1: Yes. And it was here in the Bay Area where I injured myself. So um, it was here in the Bay Area where I really got reinvolved with writing and, you know, really making a living at it.
0: So what pulled you back initially? And uh, how did the First steps begin to happen for you in terms of acclimating yourself and creating the career that you now have.
1: Pulling me back to uh, to writing the arts to the arts. Well, um, I'm not really sure how it happened. How I happened to get start getting the calls. Um, yes, I do remember um, because when I hurt myself and I could no longer work in this job that I really didn't like, I auditioned for shows. And I was the new face in town, um, so I started getting cast. And the first one I did was The Boys from Syracuse. And in my bio, I think I mentioned my work in Las Vegas. And not as a performer, but uh, the writing. And somebody saw that in my bio and contacted me from doing that random um, show, you know, if if you want to believe in coincidences or not. Um, so there I was in that show, and I happened to put that in my bio. Somebody saw it, they called, and they said, "Oh, we're looking for an adaptation of this story. We can't find one we like. Would you be interested in writing?" I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> you know." Um, and it kind of went from there, really. So, uh, when did you feel that
0: you were on? And maybe you still don't feel this. I, you know, I've spoken to people who have phenomenal careers as we look at their careers and they still don't feel that they're on solid footing in this business. And especially with what the world has been through in the last couple of years with COVID, now the strikes and, you know, not knowing from day to day what our political landscape is going to be or anything else. Do you feel that you are solidly where you thought you would be at this point in your life?
1: I think I never expected to be here. So I guess in a way, yes. And then in another way, You know, I'm not on every theater season's schedule. So, you know, uh, and I wish I were, of course. You know, we all wish that there was more. Um, But when I first started feeling secure was. A couple of years after what I described was that first show that I um, got was was um, a musical that I wrote called Oh Oh My Godmother, which was set in San Francisco and was a gay Cinderella story in modern times and it it was just such a a hit that it got me a lot of notice and that was the first time where i where i really felt like oh this is something i could do people like this now one of the things that surprised me
0: The last time that you and I sat down was to find out that you are not really through, correct me if I'm wrong, any major publishing house or anything like this, that you're very hands on in terms of marketing and promotion and getting your shows out there. Um, What is that like? You know, I know that you have to focus on the artistic area of this, but to also have to uh, put another hat on and say, this is what I need to do to get the word out about what I'm doing.
1: Well, I kind of hate it because I'm not really great at self-promotion. And so every couple of years, I kind of kick myself and say, okay, you got to send out packets and make inquiries and and let people know that you're out there. Um, Because a uh, a lot of my bookings come from word of mouth. And then, you know, after a couple of years, the theater company that saw that show locally and decides to do it, you know, the buzz kind of goes away. So I'm at a point right now where I, I need to really focus on on marketing my shows.
0: Well, what have you learned about yourself regarding marketing your shows uh, through social media? Um, social media was really not in place when you first began, uh, I'm assuming, uh, but it's now basically the norm for anybody doing the kind of work that you do.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty terrible at social media. Mm. Um, I just, I'm kind of not a big fan of it. I'm kind of not a big fan of what I think it's done to society and our people. Agreed. Agreed. So um, it, it's, yeah, it's really, it's, it's really a kind of a knife's edge that I walk along with it. I'm, I'm good with reaching out to people. I'm good with this. I'm good with um, email, as you know. Um, but like posting, hey, here's this thing going on. I'm not terrific at that. So that's an area where it would be great if I weren't doing my own marketing or self-licensing.
0: Well, you've been very, very fortunate because your musicals have been performed around the world. And have you had the opportunity to travel uh, to see these productions being produced in other countries? No. Oh, you (laughs) haven't? And no. And what was the second part of that question? Uh, uh, the second part of that was, and you've already answered the uh, the full question, I think. Um, and, but do you get video? Are you aware of what's happening with your works when it's being done in these other theaters?
1: Sometimes I'll get video. And, um, you know, usually people say, oh, we're going to send you a video. And then I never see it. Um, that's what almost always happens. Um, but I, I do get to see the shows sometimes, sometimes. Um, you know, if I happen to be in an area where something is playing, it's not really cost effective to jump on a plane to go see, you know, a production of The Man Who Saved Christmas in Hoboken. But a couple of years ago, we were in Michigan around the holidays. So we got to see The Man Who Saved Christmas in Buffalo on a Friday. And then we were in Pennsylvania on a Saturday and got to see the same show, you know, a different production. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, that was fun. Uh, things like that happened. And if, if, if a show is within a few hours of where I live, then, you know, I'll go see it. And people are always happy to have the composer in the house and they're always very sweet and, you know, make me feel like a king.
0: Well, what I love about uh, all that I've seen uh, is that you have your own spin on these uh, classic uh, stories and fairy tales in some cases, uh, and you've created some original works as well, but, has there ever been an instance where your work was not presented as you had written it? And if so, how do you deal with that?
1: For sure. um, That's (laughs) happened. I went to see, you know, people will make cuts um, to things and, you know, we've all been involved in shows where that's happened. Um, But I remember going to see one show, which they invited me to come and it was close enough that, that we could just drive to it. And they had completely rewritten lyrics for one song and had added a scene, I think because they owned a certain set piece from another show. Mm-hmm. So just wrote in this random scene. It's like, Oh, here's a pillow. Let's write a scene about a pillow. And, and it was just so bizarre and that they would invite me to see this and, and, you know, kind of be starry eyed. And what did you think? And, um, you know, I said, well, I didn't appreciate the unauthorized changes, but, you know, super fun show because, you know, you always want them to do another show. Of course, of course. Of course. Um, but um, so, yeah, that's happened a few times.
0: And this is like asking what's your favorite child, but do you have a particular show that resonates the strongest with you as a favorite?
1: You know, I think a lot of times it's what am I working on now? or what was the most recent one? So um, my most recent produced show, which is a full scale, you know, these are not like kids' shows, um, called Christmas in Oz, which um, just makes me so happy. And I'm so proud of it. Um, It's just being orchestrated by a terrific guy, um, Ben Ferguson in London, who is the uh, music director of the cabaret revival. That's such a hit right now. Um, So, uh, And we're talking about recording it next year with um, a producer that I know you know. Um, I'm very excited about that. And um, then right now I'm working on a new musical that is an adaptation of a kid's book, um, young adult book, a fantasy adventure novel called Leonardo and the Time Travelers. And that's got a lot of my attention right now. and, And I'm, you know, having a really good time with that. Well I've got a couple of
0: your shows queued up uh clips that we're gonna see uh and uh and I'm trying to find uh, uh oh my godmother uh because there is a um the file itself is v- huge so I've got to go and find it and get it on here but in the meantime we're gonna see a clip uh, I love this song uh you had mentioned before there's another version of this story out there uh so um Uh, We'll talk about this on the other side. You know what it is. Uh, But uh, to heck with Disney. This is my favorite right here.
2: Sometimes I think I agree There's nothing good about me But maybe someday I'll show them all Straighten up and get on the ball I'll surprise them and when I do Maybe I'll surprise myself too Like a man I'll be Like a man they'll see With my head held high and with a plan Maybe I've grown tall But maybe that's not all That there is to being like a man Like a man somehow, like a man Not now, but for now I do the best I can I'm So full of doubt But someday I'll find out What they mean by being like a man Does a man have to fight Just to prove that he's right Does a man have to be brave and smart Does a man need to feel That he needs to conceal What he's feeling inside of his heart Is it weak or strong To admit you're wrong Is it enough to do the best you can Or must I be the best Cause if that's the test I don't know if I'll ever be a man Will I ever learn to be more like a man?
0: What an amazing song. And it stands on its own. Thanks.
1: Yeah, I like that one too. Uh,
0: How long did it take you to write this song? And uh, where do you find your inspiration? I mean, does it come walking around hearing a phrase or something? Because you write both the music and the lyrics. Uh, To quote Carol Channing again, she always used to joke about uh, Jerry Herman getting in line twice when they were giving out talent. So <laughs> here you are, you do both the music and the lyrics and do they come to you simultaneously or, uh, or does it alternate? What's your process?
1: Well, um, to answer the first part of your question first, um, the inspiration for that song um, came directly out of the book. Uh, Aladdin's mother is scolding him. And she says something, this is not verbatim. She says something along the lines of, you've got to learn my son to be more like a man. And um, so, yeah, just that little like a man just rang in my ear um, or jumped off the page. Mm -hmm. And so I just added the line where Aladdin says, like a man, I don't even know what that means. Boom, song cue. Um, So that was the inspiration for that one. It just leapt off the page at me. Um, Regarding music and lyrics. You know, I think a, a little bit maybe like I think it's Frank Lesser who no Cole Porter, I think, who. Would write the end of the song first. Wow! And a lot of times that happens for me because you know a lot of times that that's your hook. You know, with something like a man, I knew that the song was going to be called "Like a Man." So I imagine that I sat down at the piano and da 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 da. You know that that sort of happened. And um, sometimes I'll get a little snippet of melody with a lyric like that. Sometimes I'll have the first line and write the whole melody and then fill in the lyrics. Um, But, I mean, I can't say that I specifically remember that song, but I'm pretty sure that I probably wrote the beginning and then at the end thought, well, what would the turnaround or the caboose of this song be? And then, you know, it seemed logical probably that he would say, will I ever learn to be more like a man? So
0: three classic fairy tales, Cinderella, uh, Snow White, uh, Aladdin, as we know this story. Um, With both uh, Snow White and with Cinderella, you put your own spin on those. Does this show, the Aladdin show, follow the storyline as it was originally written? Or what variations did you make to make it your own unique show?
1: Well, um, gosh, I haven't seen it in quite a while. (laughs) I read it. So, um, you know, I always have my own little twist on things. A little bit Carol Burnett show, Mm -hmm. a little bit, Bugs Bunny cartoons, you know, that we appreciate on one level when we're a kid. And then when we see the same cartoons as an adult, we go, I never knew that joke was in there. So there's always a lot of that because I think that if they're, the shows are playing in schools, then if the teachers are bored, that's not a successful show or if they're playing in theaters and parents are bored, that's not a successful show. So I believe that there has to be something for everybody. And, um, I I used to kind of get bent out of shape a little that I I felt I was getting this reputation as writing kids' shows, Mm -hmm. and they're really not. I mean, you can see that Aladdin song. is not like kids' theater, you know. I don't write shows where kids are dressed up as, you know, daisies and trees and things like that. It's just musical theater and Mm -hmm. usually performed by adults. Um, So, yeah, I have adapted a lot of fairy tales, and I kind of resisted having that label on me. And then a couple of years ago, I went, you know what? I've got a label. If family entertainment is my label, if it was good enough for the Sherman brothers, you know, it's good enough for me. And it's good enough for me. I absolutely love it. Uh, I, these are your own creations. So
0: do you ever revisit them? And do you ever think, I want to make a few changes here? I want to change this. Uh, I was, you know, Gower Champion, uh, was constantly wanting to go in and retweet things years after it had been written. And, uh, and I just heard the same thing about author Lawrence, that he was constantly, if he went to see something, he would go, I could have improved upon this, and he wants to change it. Sometimes with union and equity rules, you, you don't have uh, the flexibility of doing this, but that your shows are not following any, under any union jurisdiction. So, do you ever go in and change things?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. A lot of times, you know, a song is dashed off to to make the opening, right? And sometimes, maybe I'm never completely satisfied with that lyric, or you know, it was fine, it was fine, and and but after the fact, I'll revisit it, I'll revise it. Um, for sure, that happened with the Snow White show, um, and with. That song that I know you like from that show, um, I added a whole set, you know, when it was revived, maybe five or eight years later, I added an entire second bridge and play out for the for the thing. And, and you know, I loved it before and I loved it even more after that. Well, um, that's the perfect cue to what
0: actually go and watch it. So everybody watch out.
2: Watch
3: out, cause hair headed for a thaw. Watch out, for the fairest of them all. Her lips are redder than a rose, her skin's as soft as you could please, and the perky little nose will bring a prince down to his knees. That's right, you better watch out for Snow White. Watch out, watch out, you're in great A jeopardy. Out. Watch out! Better take a tip from me. She's got a sunny disposition and a funny little laugh. And as far as competition, hon, she's got you beat by half, that's right. That's right. You better watch out for Snow white. You've got trouble with the capital T, just like they say in the show. Take it from me, your Majesty. Don't be a fool, just keep it cool and low.
1: Cool.
3: You better stop, look and listen or she'll be kissing your hole. No, no, no,
0: no, no. Yeah. Watch out. Watch out.
3: For the hair that's black as coal. Watch out. Watch out. She's going up in every pole. Gonna cause a major error in your majesty's plan. There ain't no maiden any fairer, and she's gonna steal your man. man. That's right! right. You'd better watch out for Snow White. I hate to beat on only one drum, but it's just the kind of guy that I am. You've got yourself in a -a 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 conundrum that could stump the mighty king of Siam. Better get Hemp Paizano if you want his monogram. On your PJ, yeah. watch out! Our disaster is at hand Watch out, watch, watch out. out for the fairest in the land. A Beware the rookie sugar cookie who's looking. Uh, for you yeah. be threaten and a sweatin', I'm a betting that it's true. Heads up, handcuff, full tight, watch out for snow. White. First white. Yeah. yeah.
0: Watch out for Ron Lytle. <laughs> that is such a fun, su- I want that suit for my show in Providence. <laughs> but, uh, but everything about that is just so much fun. Um, on any given night, I mean, what is the most that you've had productions running at the same time?
1: Do you know? It's uh, It's got to be at Christmas time because I have two different Christmas shows that I license, The Man Who Saved Christmas and Christmas in Oz. So... Um, you know, I'm a, a, I am have a nice little pond that I swim around in, but I don't have 40 shows running at once. But I've I've had, you know, three or four running at the same time during the holiday season. And, and I have to say, I do like that. So we've all gone through this. So I want to ask you, where were
0: you, you know, artistically, career-wise, everything, when COVID shut down our industry for a while?
1: I was, um, I had just opened a revival of... Um, a show called Cinderella gone to the dogs, um, that I was actively working on and, um, I, I directed it and we ran for a couple of weeks and then it happened. And you, you know, I didn't have a show. I think I didn't have another show running for a year and a half after that, just Mm. nothing like all the rest of us, you know, um, I did some online things, Um, did uh, this. One of these CDs that we're giving away is called Once Upon a Time Step. And that was a little movie musical review featuring songs from uh, a lot of my shows that this theater company I work with closely, East Bay Children's Theater, which brings free musical theater to underserved elementary schools free exposes these kids who have never seen a a musical in their lives to musical theater, and and they roll in there with sets and costumes and lights and these full orchestral tracks, and you know you can just see kids like sit up and their lives change. So that was a year and a half of kids not getting any exposure to the arts through just our program, um, but we did this this movie once upon a time step, and outside of that, I think I did a recording project during, yeah, yeah, during that time too. But that was it, you know? Um, And it was just, it was really hard, obviously for all of us. Absolutely. I want to go back to something you just said. You directed
0: uh, Cinderella goes to the dogs. Have you directed many of your productions?
1: Yeah, I've directed a fair number of them, which uh, I I like doing. Um, I also like when other people direct them because I like to step back and see what other people bring to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because there are always things that, you know, we're all different and we all, oh, that's a good bit of business. What's it like for you to uh,
0: either uh, attach yourself or detach yourself uh, from what you've written uh, to put just the hat on as a director? Um, or are you wearing those hats simultaneously?
1: Simultaneously, but I, I like it because if, if you're working with really good actors and performers, which I've been lucky To work with those people, Um, they bring something to your work that you never knew was there, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and I love that. And then there are other people, you know, other times when it's more challenging, right, like in any business and people think that they know better than you what you meant when you wrote something. Or, you know, my favorite is when they argue with me about, no, that doesn't happen at this point in the show that happens later or no that's not the lyric and i you know sometimes i'll say oh i only wrote it you said something earlier
0: that you know uh, i have really been thinking about and that you don't write children's theater you just write musical theater and when i look back and even in the wizard of oz uh a movie that struck us all as children but the jokes that we get we really get as adults because they weren't writing that for children either uh, Cinderella you know there have been so many versions of Cinderella and Rodgers and Hammerstein my favorite uh, version excluding yours of course um, and you know these are all written as musical theater pieces but not necessarily as children's theater but there's that spark that's there that children are going to gravitate towards this uh, do you have nieces and nephews and if so what is their response to your musicals I um
1: a couple. And, um, I remember when the man who saved Christmas came out on CD, um, that one of them who was, I think probably about 10 years old at the time. And she was just like in love with it, you know? Um, and I kind of didn't expect them to be, I don't know why, you know, I would have loved it as a kid, but, um, you know, yeah, they're not, I mean, that especially isn't a kid's, you know, kid's play, whatever that even means. I used to say, I don't write, Kids shows. I write shows for kids, mm-hmm. and then I um, discovered that Robert Sherman had said the exact same thing. So I stopped. <laughs> I stopped saying that. But but I, the, maybe
0: he stole uh, it from you,
1: <laughs> right? Decades yeah. before. I, um, but you know, like the Wizard of Oz, Cinderella, all of these things. There's this emotional, you know, sincerity to all of them. Mm-hmm. they they're, they're stories. I mean, wanting to go home. What is home for Dorothy? You know, finding out what that means. I, who can't resonate with that? Who can't resonate with not being smart enough or brave enough? Yeah, it's when, when people think that kids are or that shows scores or scores or movies are for kids. I just <sighs> yeah, I just kind of roll my eyes. Mary Poppins, please. I know.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm going to show another clip. I, I was able to find the clip that I wanted to show. So let's open this up here. It's a huge file. So bear with me, everyone. Uh, while I <music> I mean, it mm-hmm. looks like it's so much... Uh, let, take us back to the uh, the context and the time that this was created. Because when it was created originally, um, there weren't a lot of this type of musicals being done. Uh, and I'm not referring to children's musicals because this isn't... No. Uh, but, uh, you know, how, I mean, as time has gotten gone on, uh, is it harder to, uh, to get this show on its feet uh, than it would have been, let's say... 10, 15 years ago.
1: For sure. For sure. It's, um, it's something that came. It was a wonderful lightning in a bottle moment. Um, just a few months ago, somebody reached out to me about reviving it in San Francisco, which I think I mentioned before it's set in San Francisco. So it's, it's perfect. That theater company just closed. Um, so that's a little bit of a disappointment. But um, that show came about we moved to San Francisco and you had asked me earlier and I didn't respond really about what it was like moving to San Francisco and did it feel like coming home? And it really did like, and, and not, not because of the gay thing or, or whatever. It's just like San Francisco is just so wonderful, you know, and everybody was so kind and, and friendly. And, and, um, and so really that show, Oh My Godmother started out as a Valentine to the city. Mm -hmm. Um, the opening number is called San Francisco home, sweet home to me. And then um, after moving to San Francisco in less than a year, we left the city and moved across the bridge to the East Bay. Mm -hmm. And I went kicking and screaming um, because my heart was broken. And, you know, we literally are the first exit over the bridge. So like, it's the easiest thing to get to the city, but we weren't living there anymore. And I just, you know, I was pained by this move. Um, but we were renting a house and we had two dogs. It was really hard to find any place to rent at the time, much less with two dogs. There, This was in 1999. There'd be a line down the block at an open house and you had to have your credit report with you and everything. and And so it was just a really challenging time to live. It was the dot-com bubble. So we moved to the East Bay and I kept working on Oh, My Godmother, And I don't think it would have been the show it is and was if it hadn't been for my love and, like, having my love torn apart, you know, torn away from me. Uh, and now, of course, I love where we live. <laughs> so, uh, Looking back over everything that you've done up to this point, uh, what has
0: changed within you as far as the process? Um, and are there elements that are still very much in place that were there when you first started out?
1: I think that... Um, for me, there are two sides of my writing. And sometimes I'm very much the craftsman um, when I get the commission to do something. And sometimes it's very much about the passion when I write something like, oh my godmother. So there, although- the- Excuse me to interrupt
0: but when you are commissioned to do a show, um- do you feel intense pressure? I mean, obviously, you want to give them what they want, uh, but it's coming from the point that they're reaching out to you instead of you just putting on your creative hat and saying, I'm going to create this show.
1: It, does that put a lot of pressure on you? Not too much, really, because I don't accept something if my heart's not in it. Okay. You know, I've, I've been asked to adapt things where I just want I don't like that story. You know, if it's a fairy tale, I don't, I don't like that message. I don't like the message of, you know... Uh, I was asked to adapt Puss in Boots a couple of times, and I kept reading it. I was like, "This is not a nice cat," <laughs> you know. <laughs> this this cat steals things and hurts people, and then in the end, he's rewarded. I don't like this person, <laughs> so um, so I turn things down if I'm not interested. Um, it used to be hard when I was working in like the toy industry, where there'd be a huge committee. You know, and everybody would be like, oh, a princess can't wear green. Little girls don't like green or you can't say this. Or you can't do that. You know, that that is hard. That That's a different kind of pressure. It's not um, it's not an artistic sort of pressure.
0: Well, I mean, you bring up a very interesting point. Uh, the industry right now, everybody wants to be politically correct. Everybody wants to be woke. Everybody wants to be, uh, you know, the uh, PC police. Uh, how do you navigate these waters, uh, these days, or does that affect you at all?
1: Well, I mean, uh, there are things that I've changed in scripts, you know, and, and in lyrics, uh, in recent years, because I think, oh, that might not play. Um, and I don't think that they're remotely offensive by the way, mm-hmm. but, um, around here there, there, are, there's a lot of policing going on, um. So uh, I, am, I am cognizant of it, I, I will Do you
0: think that we're on a dangerous slope uh, right now? Because for me personally, uh, I believe that uh, if something offends someone, um, I think it's a learning tool to really examine why you're offended by it. And there are many things out there that will offend all of us, let's face it. Uh, There there were things in the news this week that have come up. There are things that the first thing I heard on the news this morning was about something that happened uh, in the Senate uh, yesterday. There are things every day that offend us, but I think it's an opportunity for us to step back and say, this offends me and this is why it offends me, instead of shutting those doors completely
1: and not having a discussion about it. I do, too. I think that discussions are great. Um, I also think that you see what you look for, you know, and um, a, a lot of times people are seeing offense in something that I don't think is offensive. And certainly the writers didn't mean as offensive. And th- some things are totally offensive. <laughs> you know, like, there there are things that we have to change in musicals from 40 and 50 and more years ago. I get that. Um But then, like, you know, I also think about somebody like um, Mel Brooks, who was an equal opportunity offender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, nobody's safe uh, <laughs> from his pen.
0: Well, I mean, today, you know, would a springtime for Hitler even be created, uh, in today's world. Uh, and of course he said he wanted to have the last laugh on the atrocities that that took place then. Uh, and there's just so much of it in the theater. Uh, but you know, the business is ebbing and flowing. Uh, where do you feel that you're fitting in, in today's world right now?
1: I feel that I have a nice little niche market in the community theaters around the country, the theaters that m- maybe don't take themselves too terribly seriously. Um, you know, places uh, where they want to have a big ensemble and give everybody a chance to shine. Uh, I, I think that that's who I, I think that's who I am. You know, of course, uh, do I want to show on Broadway? Obviously, but um you know, I'm 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 pretty clear-eyed about where my role is. But you you bring up a, a really great point. I
0: mean, the ultimate goal for any artist is to get to Broadway. Um, you know, when I came to New York, it was Broadway, 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 Broadway. But as I've evolved, as my profession has changed, and, and a lot of it, that's not necessarily if it happens, it's going to happen, and if it's not going to happen, that's fine too. Because I love. First of all, I love performing around the country. I love going into different uh, cities, getting a feel for where I'm uh, staying uh, and experiencing audiences uh, that are different. Uh, What is the biggest thing that surprised you uh, sitting in the audience watching one of your shows and the response that the audience is having to something that you wrote?
1: Oh, my God. You know, um, I don't know about being surprised, but the emotional wallop that I get. And a lot of times I can't talk about these things without getting misty. But I remember with Oh, My Godmother, um, I remember a mother uh, an uh, a grandmother saying to me after the show, um, for the first time in my life, I understand my child's heart. You know, um, it's when people give me gifts like that. I did a talk back once at the man who saved Christmas and a widow stood up, you know, they're asking questions afterwards. And she said, I lost my husband to cancer wow. two months ago. And I didn't know if I wanted to celebrate the holidays. And now I do,
0: oh. And
1: you know, yeah, stuff like that. I mean, it's the biggest gift to me. And, um, like you say, traveling around and um, like meeting people in, you know, far away from home uh, around, around where I live, people are used to me, you know, (laughs) Um, but, but seeing my shows elsewhere where, you know, people are just so, so grateful that I've come. um, That's really touching for me too.
0: Um, Now it's been brought to my attention uh, that you also appeared in the
1: producers. (laughs) <laughs> I did I did so, I thought that I would be able to do that show forever um yeah that one in drowsy chaperone when drowsy chaperone came along
0: were I you thought, the man oh, in the chair uh-huh oh my god you know it's so funny that's that's one of my dream roles and uh god bless you being able to do it uh and when when bob who wrote the show said that after every show people would come up and say i am that man in the chair
1: right do you know what his
0: response was no, you're a lonely person sitting in the dark every night watching the same cast, uh, listening to the same cast recording over and over and over again. I wouldn't go around telling everybody that you're the man in the chair.
1: I would get that comment all the time. Oh, it's a perfect role for you. It's you. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> yes. uh,
0: I'm, I'm going to look for the uh, the, the uh, button to uh, get us our challenge. And while I'm doing that, I want to tell I want you to tell everybody what aspects of the man in the chair are truly Ron Lytle. And uh, you know because you and I both have such a love for musical theater, uh, as it was said in 42nd Street, the two greatest words in the English language. Uh, I love musical theater and thank you for the contributions that you're making continuously uh, to musical theater. So what was it about you that was truly the man in the chair?
1: Well, it's I mean, it's exactly what you said. It's really just the passion for the work. You know, it's not that, uh, yeah, I'm a crazy person sitting alone in an apartment who won't answer the door. It's, it's that he's passionate about something, you know, Um, he's passionate about one album, but he, he likes other shows, I'm sure. And um,
0: yeah, for sure. Now, Everyone, while uh, you've got, we just got a couple of people who have commented and I know we've got a lot of people watching because I see the numbers here and thank you for all coming back. But, please put in hashtag challenge. Um, We're going to wait a few seconds so that you can do this. Uh, Hashtag challenge. Put it in and you may win uh, these CDs to take home with you. Um, Growing up, what was the musical for you that you would have listened to over and over and over again?
1: Oh, my God. Well, for a movie, for sure, The Wizard of Oz. And, you know, predates obviously... VHS or anything. We got it once a year. It was CTV. That's what made it so magical for all of us. Um, For, I'll tell you, a movie soundtrack that my grandmother brought home to me that I just fell in love with was The Happiest Millionaire. Uh, Um, I just, I love it to this day. Um, It's one of my favorite Sherman Brothers scores. uh And um, yeah, so those two are big. Oliver, cast album, Oliver, that was a big one for me. And what
0: was the experience for you the first time that you saw one of your own CDs and that everyone has the pleasure of sitting in their own homes now and listening to them?
1: Oh, I loved it. It was like, you know, I felt like ah, I'm legitimate, <laughs> you know, and um, it was Oh, My Godmother was the first when the show was playing in San Francisco. Um, and so it was for sale in the lobby and everyone running around with them and, you know, sign my CD, you know, felt, felt like I would made. And everybody... If you don't have a CD player, you know, you can play a CD on your DVD or your Blu-ray player, too. Right. So if you haven't signed up for this thing, come on.
0: Yes. Let's so here it.
1: we are. We're going, to do, we're
0: going to do a giveaway. This is how it goes. Thank you all for being here. And, Ron, we got through it. We did it. It <laughs> came back, and it worked. So let's see who's going to be our uh, – well, uh, it, it is so – I mean, uh, uh, so just Charles send me – uh, Yeah, send me an email. And uh, and I will make sure that I get this to Ron and you will get this out there. Uh, Ron, I'm such a fan of yours. And, uh, you know, I will say that it was Ann Miller that brought us truly together. Uh, And we did our celebration of Ann Miller a couple of months ago, which is available, everyone, on demand. Uh, And if you have trouble finding it, just reach out to me and I will let you know. Um, I'm going to give you the final word in just a moment. It could be about anything that we spoke about today that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about, or just any final message that you want to leave everyone with right now. Um, I want to thank everyone for being here. I know that I can speak for Ron when I say this. Um, We don't take it lightly when you show up. So the fact that you all not only were here a couple of weeks ago, but you came back uh, speaks volumes to you, Ron. I think more about you than me. So thank you, everyone, for being here. I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Even though you may not have won these CDs today, you can still buy them through Ron's website. Uh, Go to RonLytle.com. Uh, And uh, follow him. Keep up with uh, with what's going on. And then see which of the CDs or more resonate with you. And then order a couple. Order some for yourself. And then I want you to go to your Facebook friends list. And the first name that pops up, send a couple of CDs to them and say, this is someone that you should know about. And we can start a movement right here. We can get it going out and going out and going out. Uh, I have a, you know, and also pick up the phone and call someone that you have not spoken to in a while. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call. And let that person know how they've made a difference in your life. And if you do so, trust me when I tell you this, you're going to make a difference in their lives. I have a friend. He says, we're all in this together, but we're all in different size boats. And I always say, I don't care what size boat you're on as long as you have a skipper by your side. And remember these immortal words, watch out. Ron, (laughs) it's all yours. And then when you say goodbye, the final credits will roll. Thanks for coming back. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Richard. Um, It's so great being here again. And as Richard said, thank you everybody for coming back. We really appreciate it. Um, I love Richard's message about reaching out to somebody. Uh, I would maybe just expand that to say, maybe reconnect with the arts in your local community as well. I think a lot of us aren't seeing as much theater, live theater, as we were a few years ago. Uh, We're seeing companies close all around us, left and right. So... Get get reconnected with with that um, with that industry locally, even if it's community theaters, because we need those spaces open so that young people uh, in South Carolina and Kalamazoo can keep getting inspired uh, to go into this industry. Uh, and that's what I would ask of you. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Go see a show. Thanks for buying a CD. Thanks if you're an artistic director for doing a Ron Lytle show. See you soon. Bye.